This is Lady Parts. I'm Andrea Maraskin. No one wants to be in pain. In previous episodes, we've discussed ways to help alleviate menstrual pain with medication, acupressure, herbs, and even surgery. But aside from not being in pain, if you bleed, when you bleed, what do you want? Maybe you want to be left alone. Maybe you crave the company of women or other menstruators. Maybe you get horny, or you just want to binge watch Glow on Netflix. Or maybe you just want to have a normal day, but your body gets in the way. In this episode, we explore the concept of creating a special place in time and space for menstruation. Sometimes this happens by choice, as in the practice of quote-unquote conscious menstruation. And other times it's enforced as under cultural or religious taboos. What can we learn from taking a step back, turning away in whatever small way from society, from routine, and attuning to our internal cycle? We're going to start with this idea of conscious menstruation. And for that, I'm going to take you on a little journey into womanly hippie in the woods land. You have been warned. So last summer, I needed a vacation, but I couldn't travel far. So I decided I wanted to go on a meaningful retreat to travel inside, as it were. I'm so lucky to live in New England where there are all kinds of wonderful places to go. And while I'd been feeling somewhat detached from the Jewish faith that I grew up in, I checked out what was going on at the Isabella Friedman Jewish Retreat Center up in the northwest corner of Connecticut. And I saw that a group called the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute was meeting there for a week, and the public was invited to join them for Shabbat or the Sabbath. The website said that Kohenet offers an earth-based, embodied, feminist approach to Judaism. So I got to the retreat center on Friday night, and there were all these women of different ages walking around in flowing, silky robes. There was an atmosphere of joy and excitement. I walked into the bathroom, and I saw a middle-aged woman with hair that flowed down her back, shoveling water from the faucet directly into her mouth. After dinner, we said the closing prayer while banging rhythmically on the tables, just like in Jewish summer camp. The sanctuary room had a big brass bowl of water in the center and a piece of red yarn symbolic of an umbilical cord hung over a rafter in the ceiling. When I walked in there the next morning for the Torah service, the full room carried the delicate aroma of female body odor. Instead of standing on a stage before the congregation, like in a usual synagogue or even in a church, the Torah readers crouched on the ground to read the scroll. They prayed to the Shekhinah, the feminine aspect of God, or if you like, the goddess. Out in the lake, the priestesses and trainees skinny-dipped. And I thought, this place is primal as fuck. And my friends, I was there for it. That weekend, in a semi-hidden corner of the main hall was a quiet space called a red tent. It was a place for menstruating women to rest and just be. After I got home, I went online and I wasn't surprised to learn that the Kohenet Institute incorporates conscious menstruation practice into its teachings. Now, in traditional Orthodox Judaism, married women may not touch their husbands during the week of their period and the week after, and they have to bathe in a ritual bath called a mikvah to mark the transition from a menstruating state to a state where sexuality is okay. 
Now, I was raised by a feminist mom, and I attended an egalitarian synagogue, so these practices were seen as outdated and antiquated and patriarchal. When I was 12, I had a bat mitzvah. There was no place where periods and Judaism met. I was really curious to learn how the two could intersect in a feminist framework. For this episode, I spoke with Becca Starr, a sacred artist and Hebrew priestess in training living in Beacon, New York. Much of what she has to say about conscious cycling is something anyone can try regardless of their background. You definitely don't need to be Jewish. What is conscious menstruation? Conscious menstruation, for me, is being aware of your own cycle and how it affects you. Um, Kind of knowledge is power, I think, in conscious menstruation. Noticing how your body cycles through the month and fitting, trying to fit as best you can in our modern society, trying to fit our lives with a cycle um, so that we know how to support ourselves in our cycle rather than letting our, rather than letting the cycle cycle us. We can support ourselves and have consciousness around um, how we do things, how we plan our work life or uh, a vacation or whatever it may be that you're trying to accomplish in your life. So how do you plan your, your work life um around your cycle? So this is something that's actually kind of a new idea for me. I am a visual artist and I wake up every day and try and work. I sit at my at my easel and I try and create art or whatever it is. And I realized that a lot of the art that I was making needed to be created in time. It needed to be created in the cycle of the lunar month. So for me, I bleed during the new moon time, which is the dark of the moon. And um, for me, that's a really introspective time. It's a time where I like to rest more and I like to take my time and be quiet. And I realize that if I'm trying to create art and I'm trying to really produce during that time, it's just going to be a struggle. And so uh, a few months ago, I realized that if I can start to shift my the way that I think about making art and and also this, you know, it takes off the lens of the capitalist patriarchal system that we live in that that I can try to not be such a, a producer that I can actually enjoy the process of making art. Um, and so that's something that I'm trying on right now is taking the time in the few days um, before I start my bleeding time up until the the day or two of when I start bleeding and, and um, letting that be a quiet time. A, a bleeding Shabbat is a term that, um, that my teacher uh, Taya uses. And then during other times of the month, um, after I finish my bleeding time, during my ovulation time, when I have more energy to be doing the majority of the work and the production aspect of what I want to be creating during those times. Thank you for for that answer. So you mentioned uh, bleeding during the the new moon phase of the moon. How important mm-hmm. is um, a relationship 
to the moon for people, someone who wants to practice conscious menstruation? For me, it feels really important to be connected to the moon. And I say that, you know, everybody bleeds in their own time and in the way that is right for their body. Um, before I had children, I bled um, pretty regularly and I bled around the new moon. And for me, that was really important because traditionally, um, my ancestors who were wandering in the desert and and had the red tent and all of those um, types of of conscious bleeding things that happened when women lived together in a uh, in a nomadic tribal society, um, they all bled together and it all happened to be on the new moon and again, these are all averages and like what we know from the things that we have written down. But for what, what felt most resonant to, resonant to me was the new moon and the time of being in the darkness felt like the time when I could be quiet. And, um, and in that luminosity, in that, in that, uh, in the luminous dark. So I just want to challenge you um, on on the red tent uh, of what you said about the red tent. Now, when I hear the red tent, I think about the book by Anita Diamond, in which she imagines what the Israelite women, um, the families of Leah and Rachel, and the, the matriarchs and patriarchs, how the women would mm-hmm. have lived. Now, I actually was at a place where she was speaking publicly and she told me that she made the whole thing up. <laughs> so I was I wanted to challenge you and ask what what evidence do you have or what makes you believe that um you know that your ancestors and my ancestors um practiced something like a like a red tent where women had a special space to bleed and and commune and support each other. So I think that in general, most Jewish stories uh, are myths, which in my knowledge of what a myth is, is a fictional retelling of true events. Um, I just had this conversation with my with my seven year old actually about the Hanukkah stories. I don't and and I would also say that I'm not a person who, I'm not a person who puts a lot of um, importance on like factual uh, factual text. Like I like it. I think it's cool when it supports what I want it to support. But my feelings more come from my intuitive knowing and from my deep listening to um, what feels true for me in my body and in my spirit. Um, and so I don't know if the story that I just told about the red tent is true. I don't think it matters if it's true. For me, this is what feels good in my body to bleed with the new moon. And, um, I have had experiences of living in community with other women and finding synchronicity in our cycling and bleeding time. Um, and that's the... 
that feels like the information that I need in order to make my conscious choices about that. There's certainly something to be said for your own subjective reality. However, there, I mean, yeah. there is some uh, biblical support for the idea of separation, of women separating um, from their husbands or from holy places during their bleeding time. And uh, I'm going to read some text from um, from Taya Shear's course on. Uh, menstruation as transformative practice, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm taking, and and you see, mentioned she's your teacher. So this is about the biblical prohibition around menstruation and her suggestion about reframing that. According to the Book of Leviticus, menstrual bodies enter a state of tuma at the beginning of their bleeding and remain in the state for seven days. The widespread translation and interpretation of tuma from the Hebrew is impure. And it's complement Tahara as pure. When we consider common strands of the bodies which Leviticus recounts as being in a state of Tumah, a unifying feature is that each are in liminality, an experience of being between the worlds, close to the boundaries where life and death kiss. In addition to menstruants, those named in states of Tumah include postpartum bodies, bodies that have come near to dead bodies, bodies that have experienced seminal emissions during sleep. These states are each exemplified by or accompanied by heightened energetic sensitivity. These are moments of in-between, moments of great opening, moments beyond the norm. Understanding bodies in Tuma, including the bleeding body to be liminal rather than impure, is a foundational reframe from the way menstruation has been parsed at least on the surface, in Jewish context for at least 2,000 years. So my reflection on that is that I agree with all of it. I think that the reframing of taking something that is um, that is that seems or has been viewed as shameful or impure and reclaiming that as a space of liminality is a really important reframe. I think that there is, for my sense of it, is that I do experience a sense of liminality and that's the space that I want to be able to take for myself when I am getting ready to bleed and that energetic flow. Um, I don't, I, I think part of the reason why I do the work that I do um, is because I want to demystify the idea of bleeding. And it's something that people who do bleed, who have bleeding bodies, spend almost a quarter of our lives, you know, when we, from menstruation to menopause, um, from the onset of menstruation to menopause, we we spend almost a quarter of our lives bleeding. And I think it's not acknowledged in our society. It's, um, it's, it's a secret. It's, you know, brushed to the side. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of push that, that people who are 
um, who are bleeding should just be going about their normal everyday lives and they should be able to show up at work and perform in the same way that they are, are performing the rest of the month. And I just, I think that I would love to see that shift a little bit and to have people be more understanding and more accepting of a cycle and a flow. And that goes for anybody, not just people who are bleeding, but anybody who has any sort of physical ailments or mental health issues. I think we as a society could be more sympathetic to um, people as individuals rather than trying to make everyone robots. Where else has the menstrual cycle intersected with Jewish belief and practice in your own life? Um, the Jewish menstrual cycle, for me, um, spirals along with with Rosh Kodesh and with a mikvah practice that I used to have. Um, I once upon a time led Rosh Kodesh circles in uh, New York City and in Buffalo. And um, Rosh Kodesh is the is the beginning of the month. And according to Jewish mysticism, each month has an energetic f- flow to it, an energetic um, alignment with it. And so it's it feels important to me to honor the those that kind of cycling of the wheel of the year and um and it's been harder for me to do that since I've had children they tend to take priority and I meet their needs before I meet my own um and Rosh Chodesh um coincides with the new moon right yeah with the new moon it's actually um Rosh Chodesh is it doesn't line up Exactly with the lunar calendar, it, it's celebrated um, when you can see the first sliver of the new moon. So the dark of the moon happens when the moon is fully dark, and then Rosh Kodesh is a day or two after that. Okay, and it's traditionally, for yeah, it's traditionally the women's holiday. It's in in mo- I guess modern day circles. Um, I guess it's being reclaimed in that way. I don't know much about that aspect of it. So but what do you do like at, a, at a Rosh Chodesh circle? Um, at a Rosh Chodesh circle, we gather together to share our dreams and uh, check in about where we are in our lives. Um, there are a lot of women's circles that I know, I, and I say women with the inclusion of anybody who identifies as a woman, um, but there are new movements of, of all gender Rosh Kodesh circles that also are happening. And at a Rosh Kodesh circle, you would gather in a circle and everybody would say their name and call themselves into the circle with intentionality Um and then maybe we would go around and share our intentions for the upcoming month. Uh, perhaps the facilitator would share a little bit about the energetics of the upcoming month and how they might influence individual experiences. 
Um, and then sometimes when, when depending on the, the expansiveness of time that happens in the circle, there's also the opportunity to create a piece of art or receive body work, other types of self-care, things like that. There's lots of singing, sometimes dancing. So you mentioned you have two young kids. Um, are your kids aware when you're menstruating? Do they understand that you need to take it a little more, more easy? What, how does that dynamic work in your family? In my family, my kids are really, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty aware of my cycle. And when I'm bleeding, uh, I think most people who have young children would agree that there's not a lot of bathroom privacy that happens. So they're fully aware of um, when I'm going to the bathroom, my daughter will, you know, she'll say, mama, you have blood. And I'll say, yes, I'm, this is my time that I'm bleeding. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, this is blood that could be nourishing a baby if we were choosing to have another baby in our family, but we're not choosing that right now. And so the blood comes out. Um, and we talk about it a lot. My son also is pretty aware of when I'm bleeding and I talk about it. And my husband is amazing and really sweet and supportive of my need for more rest. And usually, um, on the day when I start bleeding, he, I'll let him know. And he sometimes, you know, most of the time will show up with flowers to celebrate that day. You know, I think if there was some kind of service where like um, a nice supportive man showed up at your house with flowers and wished you a happy moon day, <laughs> like you, could, you could really have a viable business. Yeah, that would be an amazing service. I mean, yeah, it could be anybody's husband. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't yeah, matter. Or anybody or a friend or, yeah. you know, a, a housemate or whoever. Um, yeah, so you can you can all text me and and send me messages on Facebook. I'll wish you all happy moon days. Okay, all right, it's a deal. <laughs> sounds good. So, what are your your personal rituals and practices around your period? So, something that I I don't do anymore is er, insert anything into my vaginal canal to catch my blood. Um, that is really painful for me. And one of the things that I found most supportive in not having painful moon time is to allow the blood to flow out. And so I will use um, towels or uh, some some other sort of um, material to catch my blood, sometimes disposable pads, but I try to stay away from those because um, I like to be able to see my blood and then I I capture my blood I have a little uh jar next to the bath in the bathroom where I keep my pads in a little bit of water and then I take that water and I offer it to the plants in my house or uh, I try to when I can to go outside I have an ancestor bush that um is where our ancestor altar is and and my kids are also pretty aware of this as well. They go and hang out with the ancestor bush when they want to talk to their ancestors and they'll bring the ancestor bush rocks or other sorts of um, things from when we go on nature walks and things like that. And I offer my blood there at the ancestor bush sometimes. I think it's really interesting also to notice the texture and color and the, the consistency 
of the blood, I think it's another way that our bodies talk to us. Like I do notice a lot that when I have more clotted bleeding, um, it means I have stagnation. I'm not moving as much as I need to, whether that's actual physical. Usually it's physically because I don't move as much as I need to. Um, But other sorts of stagnation, maybe I'm not dealing with something energetically that I need to be dealing with. And so I'll notice that something about conscious menstruation that I think is really important is noticing that it's an entire cycle. It's not just the four days that you're bleeding. It's the how you're preparing for your bleeding time, what you're doing in the other parts of the month to notice your cycle as well, how you're nourishing and taking your care of yourself during the fullness of your cycle. What do you think is an easy way to start if um, maybe I'm I'm not ready to, to collect my own blood or I can't take a day off for my period? Like mm-hmm. if somebody's interested in conscious menstruation and, and just wants to do like one kind of small thing, what, where do you think is an, a place to start? My favorite constru- conscious menstruation tool that I have in my toolkit is my period tracker app. And I think that's super easy. It's free. Um, the one that I use is called P tracker. Um, I, I know that there's another one called clue that a lot of people I know really love. Um, and I've been tracking my cycle and you can write there. There's um, in the app, you can track when you start your period, when you end your period, Um, And there's also places to track different symptoms, like whether you're having cravings for salty or sweet things, whether you're uh, having breast tenderness or whether you're having um, what type of mood you're experiencing on any given day. Um, I think just the first step, you know, say, um, write down when you start your bleeding time and it can just be in your calendar. It doesn't even need to be on a special app. Um, And then a next easy step would be to light a candle for yourself when you start that, when you start your bleeding time, just to mark that moment in the same way that you would light Shabbat candles to mark the beginning of Shabbat. You can light a candle for the day that you start your your cycle so you can wish yourself a happy moon day and maybe you get a special candle that's your moon candle that you light um, and take a bath when you get home from work if you can't take the day off. I like that. (laughs) So um, why don't you tell us about the art show that you have coming up? Sure. So as part of my work as a priestess, um, a blood priestess, and as a visual artist, um, I am putting together a visual art show in Beacon, New York at the Catalyst Gallery that's going to be coming up um, in February. It's a show that that demystifies menstruation. Um, It's for people who bleed, people who don't bleed, people who wish they bled, people who wish they didn't. Um, And we have an open call for art out right now. And that is, um, you can submit a piece of artwork until January 5th. Um, And you can find more about that on my Instagram, which is Becca Star Art. and find out more and also on Facebook Becca Star. And so this show will be about 
demystifying the that the process of menstruation. I'm co-creating it with a friend, Regina Williams, and um, it's also in partnership with Celebrate Women 845, which is uh, an organization that celebrates women creatives. So if someone wants to uh, participate in the show, do they have to physically drop something off or could it be someone who lives far away and they send something electronically? I, I'm not an art yeah. person, so I don't know how that works, but I just yeah. want to know how people can participate if they maybe don't live in the Hudson Valley. Yeah, if you don't live in the Hudson Valley, you're more than welcome to ship things to us. I can uh, We can work that out. I have people in Vermont and somebody in California who's interested in, and I would like this to be more than just a Hudson Valley thing. So it's open to the global community. I have a link to the submission page for Becca's art show in the notes. The deadline to submit is January 5th. Coming up after a break, how a young girl in Nepal survived puberty with menstrual taboos and came out stronger. It wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't ask you to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. But seriously, it really helps other people find this show. And it makes me feel good. Not an iPhone person? Me neither. You can still download iTunes on your desktop and leave a review that way. I want to also recommend a couple of other podcasts that I think complement this episode. The first one is called Take Some Time Off. Host Maeve Kathleen is a yoga teacher, wellness advocate, and former New York City public school teacher. In the podcast, you're hanging out with her as she explores different aspects of mindful living. It's low pressure, like we're all working on ourselves together. I especially recommend the episode Take Some Time Off for Self-Compassion, which, as she explains, is not the same as self-esteem. I also want to recommend Inflection Point with Lauren Schiller. It's an interview show about how women can rise up. Check out the recent episode, More Than Power Poses, Why Self-Empowerment is a Myth and What We Can Do Instead, with author Ruth Whitman. Whitman asks why so much recent advice for women is directed at individuals. Why not directed at the institutions and systems that we navigate? Check it out after you finish listening to Lady Parts. Growing up upper middle class in Kathmandu, Nepal, Prakriti Kandel had a lot of advantages, including close and supportive parents. But when she started menstruating, the beloved only child was suddenly considered unclean. During that time of the month, she had to put physical distance between herself and her family. Nevertheless, she found power in her period. I reached Prakriti at home in Nepal, where she's spending a year between high school and university working as a reporter. Tell me about um, before you started menstruating, how were you, were you prepared for what was going to happen? Um, yes, I was prepared because uh, I knew that, you know, this menstruation would happen because um, it happened to my mom and um, she would like, she would, in those four days, she wouldn't do the cooking and she would have to like tell the whole family. So I knew that this was going to happen and I knew what would happen when it did happen so I knew there was going to be blood coming out and so I was prepared I would say. And when you started getting periods how did your life change? 
Um, actually, when I first got my period, it was actually a nice experience. You know, it was right after my 12th birthday, the very day after. And I kind of had a, like a feeling that I was going to get it. I don't know. It's very weird. But I had a feeling it was I was going to get it. And it felt kind of nice. So in the beginning, I was actually pretty excited. So I think for me, it was a nice thing in that sense. Oh, wow. Um, how did your day-to-day life change in terms of your interactions with your family and uh, moving around the house? Yeah, so um, I think the most important change was that I wasn't allowed to touch things like in the kitchen. Um, I couldn't touch the things that my family members would eat. That was the biggest change. And um, I also couldn't touch them if they were like doing prayers. So I wasn't allowed to go to that holy area of where prayers are done. And um, it was it was especially hard when my grandmother was here because she she wouldn't allow me to touch her at all. She preferred I didn't touch her at all. And she wouldn't eat with me in the same table or she, she wouldn't even let me touch the table while she was eating. And my my father also didn't eat the food I touched back then. So I think um, so I think those differences like really made no sense to me because it was a very natural thing. And I also knew about how this was a very discriminatory mentality and i knew the history of how um my mother were my mothers would like they have to go to another house and they weren't allowed to see the sun and um all those things didn't happen to me but there were still all these boundaries which didn't make sense so i think that was the part that you know really infuriated me the most and what was the what was the reasoning the historical or the um religious reasoning that you were given that you had to be separated during your period? Um, I think um, the reasoning is just that it makes you impure. So in the normal way, when we speak, we don't call it like, we call it nasuni bako. So nasuni means you can't touch. So that's the way it's always been. And I think there's, I don't know, I don't know the exact reasoning, but there, it's always that it makes you impure. So uh, so I've also heard that, you know, if you touch like plants that are growing with fruits, then the fruits are going to die off or something if you touch them while you're menstruating. And all those things, you know, little things like that, that my, my you know, I was told all those things. So that those things about, you know, being impure was the hardest. So it's I think it's always been in our vernacular, all these ideas. So did it affect your self-esteem when you got your period and, and had to follow these new rules? No, it didn't, actually, because I never, you know, for some reason, you know, people were saying all these things about menstruation being a bad thing. So it never affected my self-esteem, in a sense. I always thought that they were in the wrong place by making me believe all these things that didn't seem true. So it was like I had this desire to go against that more than affecting my self-esteem. And, like, my father was always, like, the biggest inspiration in my life. So uh, so he always made me feel very strong about myself. And even in school, I was, you know, I was, like, allowed to participate and do a, lots of things. And I had many great opportunities. So I never, it never affected my self-esteem. I would say no to that. Um, and is it something that you would discuss with your girlfriends? Or is it something that your friends also also had to had to put up with? Um, it's something that my friends also had to put up with, um, but we never discussed it openly. I think we, like my friends and I, we discussed it after I wrote that book and I made them read it. So I think, you know, that's when we, that was like a common thing between us because my friends were the, like my best friends were the first people to read it. 
So I think they all agreed with me in the sense that, you know, it's a bad thing and it shouldn't happen to us. So my friends had to follow the same rules. At least my best friend I know had to follow the same rules. Tell me about your book. Yeah, Ma, so my book is called Imposter, and um, it's basically about, like, it's about, you know, how menstruation is said, like, it's impure and everything. So the character, main character in my book, she's a 14-year-old girl who just got a period, and she's also questioning all these ideas about how it's making her impure, and she also has a family who has always supported her before. So she just goes on a quest to find out what the truth really is, and in in the like in the plot and when things happen she finally discovers that it was actually a rule created by the patriarchal society because um they like the actual thing that happens is that menstruation is a way for women to harness their power it's a way for women to get a power that connects them with nature so there are four different types of powers all related to elements of nature and menstruation is a way that connects to the power. So if women were disempowered in those days, then they could never harness the power, and that's what the system wanted. So it's basically all about that. In those days, so it's a historical novel? It's set in the past? It's actually set in a dystopian society. Um, It has no particular timeline, but it's based... Oh, when you said in those days, did you just mean during the menstruation days? In those days... um, so what I meant was in in the time when a woman is menstruating, that's when she's able to like harness her powers for the first time. So my story is set like there's no timeline, but um, the main character goes to the past in the story to find out what the truth really was. So yeah, that's how it works. So what kind of powers does the do the characters in your novel get when they get their periods? So in my novel, all women, they're, um, they have this special connection with like four different elements of nature, which is water, fire, air, and earth. So by like, you know, when they had their menstruation, they would be able to harness their power to actually interact with, their el- with these elements. So, you know, people with like power of water would be able to do different things with water, like, you know, make shields and people with the power of fire would be able to create fire and things like that. So it's all very fictional, these powers. I was reading Harry Potter and I was reading all these different books. So I was definitely inspired by that to like bring elements of magic into my story because I really loved the concept of magic. So I just connected those elements, different elements of magic with menstruation and how that could be something powerful. I love that. I really love it. Can your book be found online? Oh, no, I haven't published it. It's, I'm still like, it's still, I'm still working on it. So I've, I haven't been able to work on it for some time now, but I'm planning to definitely make it better and hopefully publish someday. Please let us know when you do. Um, by us, I mean me and the podcast listeners. So going back to, to your own life, it sounds like you went through, um, you went through kind of a, a period where you, when you, where you were angered and you and you argued with your mom and grandma about it, and then you came out. You did some research and um, concluded that menstruation is a power for women in in real life. I'm so curious about how you came to that conclusion. Yeah. Okay. So I think I think with menstruation there have been like two different phases. So one is this like feeling of anger towards how this discriminatory mentality and I I just I remember that um when in 10th grade 
my grandmother was living with us and I had a very huge discussion with her about how this is like not a bad thing and I think we veered away from menstruation to so many different issues but it was very hard to convince her and it was very hard to convince my father and mother too. But I think the idea of power in real life also came because, um, as I said earlier, when I first got my period, it was a very pleasant experience. And I never got period cramps, which which I was lucky never to get. And um, and this is very strange, but like, I think I was in sixth, seventh grade when these like weird things happened. But my tests, like tests in school, always seemed to go better when I was having my periods which doesn't make any sense, but that's how I felt. <laughs> so, um, yeah, wow. So, and I always, like, when I was having my period, I always had this, like, like I don't know, I was just feeling happy and nice, and it felt like a very special experience. So, so with people telling me all around that it's impure, and, you know, I had to study biology in school, where I learned that menstruation is natural, and it's, like, for babies being born. And I remember, I think we had a discussion in school one day, and my best friend said that, you know, if this is, like, this is blood that babies are supposed to be nourished by, then isn't it supposed to be even more pure than, like, normal other blood? And then, so, I think... Wow. Yeah, my best friend and I, was we were, like, we really got along together, I think that through school, I knew about the biological process and through my own personal experiences, it felt very special. And um, through like books that I read, I was always into stories and magic and things like that. And I was always angered about this issue about how it discriminated against women. So I think all of those elements came together in my book. Yeah, so that's how I, I came about like making it powerful in real life because it felt that way to me. Which kind of is strange because a lot of my friends say that they have cramps and it's not a very nice experience. But I guess I was lucky in a sense. Um, so now you're you're still living with your family, right? Uh, yes. And so do you still have to uh, obey the menstrual taboos? Um, not as much as I used to. But, you know, if there's like rituals, like very like holy rituals of religion then I still can't participate but I can go to the kitchen touch the food and everything and my father also eats the food I touch he didn't do that before and my mom is also very um like supportive of me in a sense why do you think they why do you think they change their behavior <laughs> no I just think that they're you know they grew up in an in a time where all these menstrual eras was like normal and no one said anything but I think that they're also beginning to change. I definitely feel a positive change. And, you know, before they would, like, avoid me in my period, like, try and not touch me or just stay away. But that they don't do that anymore. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, my, my writing the book and how, like, they knew that this was really important to me. And, like, my grandmother, I would never be able to convince that menstruation is not, like, is not a good bad thing because she never went to school and she was like very she was very she was brought up believing that menstruation is a bad thing and nothing could change that she was very rigid but my parents were like they went to school they knew about the biological process but that culture element was very strong in their lives but I think you know because they know about like how this is something natural it's very it's it was easier to change them and I was able to convince them that you know, this is not something that you should always be, like, scared of or say that you're impure or discriminate against. 
so so I think I did like they they were very it was nice that they listened to me in this matter. That's great that you were able to to change their thinking. So how has it your your experience and learning about menstruation um, influenced your activism or what you want to do um, with your career and your education? I think that ever since I was very young, I wanted to do something for the country because my father was also, you know, into politics a long time ago. So I, so I think, like, these ideas about menstruation, I know that in the far west, it's so horrible that girls have to go sleep in cow sheds during menstruation, which is, like, which is so horrible because you can't even imagine having to go sleep in a cow shed with animals when you're having your periods. You know, health is not even a concern, and they're discriminated against so much. So I really feel that, you know, like, they need to have an opportunity to feel normal during this time as much as we do. And I think one of the aspirations I had with my story is that it could reach people there so that girls there do could feel something positive that I felt. What do you think needs to happen uh, in order for those girls, girls in the Western uh, part of Nepal not to be sent to sheds and um, to be safe and sanitary and, and cared for during their periods? Um, I think the most important factor is education. I mean, like those, I think that, you know, all these development issues come along with that because, as I said, my parents went to school and they know about things. But people there, it's very, I mean, from what I've heard, because I've never been there, but I've heard that it's a very patriarchal societies and there are agencies working, like, for hygiene and everything. But I think that as long as, you know, children growing up, right now don't have proper education and even women are led to believe that this is something impure you know like my grandmother believed it was impure and she implied it on me even though she went through it the same thing when she was my age so I think it just comes with like providing proper education so that people are able to break out of that mentality that it's something bad and overall I think yeah, I think it's just that people need better facilities, into, mostly in terms of education, to create a generation that's able to think of menstruation, not in terms of these taboos. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I think that the most important thing here is that, you know, there are so many people suffering because of the taboos. And that's like, that's something that we all have to work for. I also want to say that I really enjoyed the time that I had when I was creating that story. And it like continues to make me feel better about menstruation. I found out about Prakriti in a 2015 NPR story about menstrual seclusion for girls in Nepal. In that story, you also meet a teenage girl in the rural western part of the country who has to stay in a shed on menstruation days, totally unprotected from the elements or from strangers, as Prakriti was mentioning. I've linked to that story in the show notes, and I also have a few links to nonprofits that work to educate against menstrual taboos and provide safe and sanitary menstruation for women and girls living in poverty. I also want to hear from you. What changes or accommodations have you made for your period? What does your ideal menstrual universe look like? Do you get to stay home from work? Do you get to wear leggings? Do you take your heating pad with you? Does your partner watch the kids? I want to know. 
Also, any military members listening, I would love to hear how you manage your cycle during deployment. Use your phone's voice memo app to record a short message and email it to ladypartsradio at gmail.com. Let me know if you're okay with me sharing it in a future episode. You can also just write me an email and I'll read it. When I have my period, I like to watch shows with a strong female lead. And I wanted to tell you about my favorite moon time show this year. It's Anne with an E. It's a Canadian drama based on the 1908 novel Anne of Green Gables. I never read the book, but I did grow up watching the films about the spunky redheaded orphan girl with the vivid imagination who's adopted by a pair of elderly siblings. The new series is even better than the film. It addresses issues like homosexuality, gender, and racial inequality. Anne even gets her period. Oh, sorry, she has her womanly flowering time. You can find it on Netflix, and they are not paying me. I just love the show. Lady Parts is produced by me, Andrea Moraskin. Production help this month from Melissa Davis, Eamon Linehan, and Will Stratton. Parts of this episode were recorded at Baobab Tree Studios in beautiful downtown New Haven, Connecticut. The Lady Parts logo is by Jamie Squire, and our theme song is by Adam Ragusia. Other music for this episode by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm on Twitter at Andrea underscore Moraskin and on Instagram at Andrea Moraskin. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.